Hey, good morning. Uh, if you are new with us, we're in a series walking through the book of Hebrews, and so you can go ahead and start making your way to Hebrews uh, chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 5 uh, and get a little bit into uh, chapter 6. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, part of the process of growing up uh, is learning to listen to the warnings of others and actually listen to them and not have to make the mistake and learn for yourself. And so the summer before my senior year of high school, we had uh, weightlifting and running workouts for football during the months of June and July. Uh, and these workouts were at 6 or 6.30 in the morning, and uh, they started a few weeks after school had gotten out. And uh, the year before, I got on the football team late. I didn't decide to play until after, uh, right at the end of the summer, and so I didn't go through these workouts uh, the summer before. And so everybody on my team was saying, hey, you, you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. These aren't easy. And on top of that, you're going to be a senior, so you've got to set the example for everybody on your team. Uh, well, I played baseball in the spring, and what's true about baseball is that you really don't ever run, and uh, in high school, we didn't lift either. Uh, I played first base, so I really did not do a lot of moving around, and I was really, really out of football playing shape by uh, the end of baseball season. And then when school ended, I didn't do anything active either, just stayed up late and slept in and hung out with friends. And so that first week of football workouts rolled around, and uh, I stayed up way too late the night before, so I overslept. I uh, had to rush out the door. All I had time for to eat that morning was a Pop-Tart, and so got fueled up with a Pop-Tart on the way there. Uh, and because I was so tired and so out of shape, I ended up blacking out during the warm-ups. Uh, like, I literally, I looked like a zombie. I'm like holding my hands out, like, somebody please lead me. I can't see anything, don't know where to go. I ended up I had to spend the entire workout on the couch uh, because, and miss the whole workout because anytime I tried to do something, uh, I'd just black out again and wouldn't stop until I, I could sit back down. Uh, I ended up paying for that with quite a bit of extra running after the normal workouts were done for the rest of the summer uh, and, and some extra suffering on top of that. And, you know, it didn't have to go that way, right? Like, I... I didn't have to suffer the embarrassment of blacking out during the stinking warm-ups. Uh, I didn't have to suffer the extra running and, and all the extra punishment for that that I did, but uh, I didn't listen to the warnings of those who had been there before and knew what they were talking about. I, I had to learn and make the mistake uh, for my own. And, and again, part of how you know you're maturing, how you know you're growing up, is when all it takes is a warning when you can just hear the warning and listen to it and not have to make the mistake for yourself. And that's what Hebrews is giving us here this morning. Hebrews is giving us another strong challenge and warning to help us wake up, grow up, and, and keep following after Jesus. It's going to give us another strong warning in the hopes that we would listen to it uh, and keep on growing and maturing. And so let's look at this warning together uh, and listen to it now. Hebrews chapter 5, we'll start in verse 11, and we'll read through chapter 6, verse 12. Starting in verse 11, the word of God to us. It says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. 
but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray again for God's help on our time together. God, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you even for a strong warning like this. God, would you give us ears to listen to it this morning? Um, Would you help us to lay our defenses down and just sit with and hear what you have to say to us? God, even when uh, it is challenging and uncomfortable like this passage is, would you give us hearts that long to hear from you and long to listen to what you have to say? Uh, Would you give us clarity to know if, if Hebrews is talking about us here, would you wake us up if we need to be woken up out of spiritual laziness? Would you give us a hunger and an earnestness to have the full assurance of our hope to the end? God, if there are those in here who don't know you this morning, would this be the means that you use for them to come to know you? Would you open their eyes and their hearts this morning as we hear your word? God, I pray that you would. In your name, amen. Amen. So three things uh, we see in this passage that he gives us. He gives us a challenge, a warning, and an assurance. A challenge, a warning, and an assurance. Let's look first at the challenge. He begins here in verse 11 by saying he wants to talk a lot more about what he's just been talking about. And what he just introduced in chapter 5 is this idea, this truth, that Jesus is a great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He wants to talk a whole lot more about what that means and why that's such good news, but he can't yet. He says it's hard to explain, and the reason why it's hard to explain is not because it's just too deep of an idea for them to understand. It's not because they're just too dumb and they can't grasp it. Now look at what he says in verse 11. He says it's because they've become dull of hearing. The word dull here, it means lazy or sluggish. They become lazy in their hearing. They are the problem here. He says at this point in their Christian lives, they should be the ones who are able to teach others about things like Jesus being the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, but instead 
They need someone to reteach them the ABCs of the Word of God, the ABCs of the Gospel, the ABCs of following Jesus. They need milk instead of solid food. Uh, our, our daughter Lainey is 11 months old right now, and I just cannot wait uh, for the day when I get to read stories like Harry Potter uh, and the Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia and the Wingfeather Saga to her. I, I'm just so excited uh, for the days when I'll get to introduce her to those worlds and those characters and those stories, but I can't do that right now. You know, if I were to sit down with her right now and try to read a chapter or two of one of those books to her, uh, she'd either crawl off and go do something else, or she'd try to grab the book from me and start eating it. Uh, and even if she did sit still, she wouldn't be able to comprehend and take in, she wouldn't be able to follow along with the story. Uh, right now we read her board books because she's a baby. Uh, that's all that she can handle, and, and that's normal. It should be that way. But if we get a little bit down the road, you know, if she's 14 years old and still all we can read to her is board books, like, something's gone wrong along the way. Something has gotten stunted in her development. You know, it, it's okay to live completely on milk when you're four months old. It's not okay to still be on the bottle when you're 25. And that's what Hebrews is saying here. It's saying at some point you have to grow up. That if you've been a Christian for a long period of time and yet you've never progressed past the basics, or because you become lazy, you've regressed back to the basics and you can't handle anything else, something is off. And it's not just that something is off, this sort of spiritual laziness is dangerous. It puts you in danger of turning away from Jesus. Your sluggishness should be like a blaring alarm shouting at you that you need to address this. And so how do you know if Hebrews is talking about you here? How do you know if you need to wake up and stop being a slug? Well, he tells us in verse 13, he says, the evidence that you're spiritually lazy is that you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Unskilled, it means unpracticed, untrained. It means you really don't know your Bible. You don't know how to see the good news of the gospel in the Bible, and you don't know the Bible's story very well. And listen, that's fine. If you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian, that, that's what it means to be a child. All of this stuff is new to you. It is not okay to be years into your Christian life and still have an infant's grasp and understanding of the Bible. And, and look, I'm, I'm sure it'll be no surprise to you for me to point out that we as Christians in the West, in America, we have more access to God's Word than at than any other Christians at any other time in church history. And yet on the whole, we read and know the Bible less than almost any other Christians at any other time in church history. I mean, please don't raise your hand, but, but how many of us could say we've even read through the Bible, the entire Bible, just, just even once? I mean, so often we are like the adults acting like spiritual babies that Hebrews is describing here, and it shouldn't be that way. That sort of spiritual sluggishness and laziness puts us in danger of being captured by other things and turning away from Jesus. And so part of the challenge here in Hebrews is to know your Bible well enough to be a teacher of it. I mean, just take as an example the author of Hebrews here. 
Think of how he knows the Old Testament story backwards and forwards, how he knows all of its twists and turns and how it's fulfilled in Jesus. I mean, think back to chapters 3 and 4. He knows how Psalm 95 is speaking to us today. Look, if you've been a Christian for a good length of time, there's no reason that shouldn't be true of you as well. Because the truth is that your spiritual life is not going to go any deeper than your knowledge of the book. There's just no path to spiritual maturity that does not include a growing knowledge of God through his word. There's no path to a deeper relationship with Jesus that doesn't include what he has said to us. And listen, yes, knowledge is not enough by itself. We want to be doers of the word and not just hearers only, the book of James says. But if you're going to be a doer of the word, you at least got to hear it and read it first. You at least have to know it. And so a a good model and goal for you here is Ezra. In Ezra 7 verse 10, it says, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach God's statutes and rules in Israel. Study, do, do teach. That's what you should set your heart to do. Every Christian should eventually grow into being a teacher. Listen, no, we're we're not all going to get up on a Sunday and preach a sermon. We're not all going to get up and lead a Bible study, but every Christian should know the Bible well enough to be able to communicate its basic truths to other people. Every Christian who's been a Christian for a while should know the gospel well enough to be able to share it with non-Christians should know the gospel well enough to be able to teach other Christians how the gospel transforms their lives and should know the gospel well enough to be able to teach other Christians how to follow Jesus. That's one of the signs you're growing in spiritual maturity. I mean, as an example here, take take the book of Hebrews. You may not know all the ins and outs of how Jesus compares to Melchizedek, but you should at least be able to communicate how Jesus is our great high priest and why that's good news. You should be able to teach that to others. And look, we, we can all make excuses for why we've been Christians for a long time and we still don't know our Bibles very well, but, but that's what they are. They're just excuses. Because you discipline yourself to know what you love and care about. The things you love and the things you care about You discipline yourself to study them and know them. You know, you might tell me, oh, I'm just not that much of a reader. But if you can quote for me all the stats of everybody on your fantasy football team, you've got the time and the capability to be able to read the Bible. If you say, oh, I'm just so busy, I don't know where I would ever find time to be able to read the Bible. But you can tell me everything that that your favorite podcast has been saying lately. At the very least, you've got time to listen to the Bible. And so part of responding to Hebrews' challenge here is just the discipline to stop making excuses and to say, no matter what else happens in my life, I'm going to be a person of this book. When I get cut, I'm going to bleed Bible. I'm going to read it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to listen to good Bible teaching. I want more Bible in my life. I want to know God through His Word. I'm going to set my heart to study it, to do it, and to teach it to others. That's how you know you're growing up in the faith. Because verse 14 tells us that solid food, it's for the mature, for those whose powers of discernment have been trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What that means is because you've so immersed yourself in the Bible, you've so 
uh, pursued a relationship with God through his word, that you know how to follow Jesus. You know how to distinguish right from wrong. You've exercised your faith. You've worked it out over and over in your daily life. You know what it looks like to follow Jesus in the real world, and you've been doing it. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. That's where we want to be. And so he goes on in verse 1 of chapter 6 and provides us with his explicit challenge here. And he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Let us leave the ABCs and go on to maturity. Now, something I want to clear up because Hebrews 6 has sometimes been taught this way. Hebrews 6, he is not telling us here that we need to move on from the gospel. Some people act like the gospel is just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's what gets you into the door But if you want to grow and mature as a Christian, you've got to move on from the gospel into the deeper things of Christianity, and that's how you grow as a Christian. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you grow as a Christian not by moving on from the gospel, but by moving deeper into the gospel. The the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. It is good news for all of our life and for all of our days. And that's actually what Hebrews is saying here. I mean, think about what he wants to talk to them about, but he can't yet because they're so spiritually lazy. He wants to talk about how Jesus is a great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's gospel. That's not something different than the gospel. That's a deeper understanding of the good news of the gospel. And so Hebrews is not saying we need to move on from the gospel. What it is saying is that we, don't, we shouldn't have to be constantly reteaching the basics of the faith to people who should know better. That's, this, that's what this list is that he gives here uh, in verses 1 and 2, where he says we should not have to lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Repentance from dead works is repenting from the works of sin that led to death and repenting from thinking that your works, your good works, can earn you favor and righteousness before God. You turn from those and you put your faith and your trust in what Jesus has done to save you. That's the basics of how you respond to the good news of the gospel with repentance and faith. And Hebrews is saying, we should not have to be teaching you guys years into your Christian life, hey, How you respond to the gospel is you repent and you believe. You should already know that. When he talks about instructions about washings and the laying on of hands, he seems to be talking about baptism and initiation, how you come into the community of faith, how you come into the church. And again, he's saying, shouldn't have to be reteaching this stuff to people who are years into this thing like you guys forgot it all of a sudden. When he talks about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, he's referring to the fact that because Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the day is coming when Jesus will again return bodily and and everyone will be raised from the dead to, to be judged, some to eternal life, some to eternal death. This is these are the foundational truths of what it means to believe in Jesus. These are the basics that are laid out when you first come to faith in Jesus. And it's not that we move on from these things, it's that we build on them and deepen from them. You know, basic addition and subtraction and multiplication and division, things like two plus two equals four, that's all the math that you can do with really young kids. And that's okay, it's normal. You have to have that foundation. 
But if you have to start a PhD seminar in math off by rehearsing your addition and multiplication tables, something's gone wrong along the way, right? That, that says something really bad about those PhD students if you have to do that. And so in the same way, Hebrews is saying, if these are the only things we can talk about, if we can never move past this after years of you following Jesus because this is all that you can handle, we are in serious trouble. And so this is the challenge, to mature and grow up and not be a spiritual baby forever. Because there is not a category of Christians who are just forever spiritually immature and God's just okay with that. It is not, you know, oh, well, some people are just more spiritual than I am. Some people are just more spirit, serious about Jesus. No, no, all of us are called to grow into maturity. And again, not growing into maturity is dangerous. That's why Hebrews ups the ante here and moves next from not just a challenge to a warning, a warning to what will happen if we continue down this path. He lays out this warning in verse 4 of chapter 6 and says, It is impossible to restore again to repentance people who have experienced all the things he lists out in verses 4 and 5. And so the question is, who is Hebrews talking about here? Is he talking about Christians or about people who just appear to be Christians but aren't actually Christians? Well, I want to show you he's talking about Christians here. This is a warning for us, for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Because he says in verse 4, he, he calls them those who have been enlightened. He, he uses this exact same phrase in chapter 10. And in chapter 10, it's really clear that he's using this phrase to refer to their conversion. When they put their faith in Jesus and they began to follow Jesus, they came out of darkness into God's light. They've been enlightened. He says they've tasted the heavenly gift, which seems to be a reference to salvation, to the gift that comes from heaven, that comes from God. And in chapter 2, it says Jesus tasted death for us. And there it didn't mean Jesus sipped death. It didn't mean that he tried death. It means that he actually died. He says they've shared in the Holy Spirit. And shared everywhere else in the book of Hebrews means fully participated in. Again, in chapter 2, it says Jesus shared in our flesh and blood. And that does not mean that Jesus was almost human, that he was most of the way human. It means he was fully human says they've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. They've seen God's word powerfully work in their lives. They've tasted its goodness and they've experienced the powers of the age to come. The age to come is what Jesus brings in. It's the life of the kingdom. It's eternal life. It's the new creation. And he's saying they've experienced the power of new creation in their lives. So people who have been converted, who have tasted the goodness and the gift of salvation, uh, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have seen the power of God's Word in their lives and experienced the power of new creation. This is talking about Christians. This is talking about us. And so he says, it is impossible in the case of those who have become Christians, who have truly experienced God's salvation and all the benefits of salvation and then have fallen away from Jesus, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. It's impossible for them to come back because they are crucifying Jesus again and holding him up to contempt. Now, Hebrews is not saying God would not accept their repentance if they came back. 
Hebrews is saying they're not going to want to come back to Jesus if they experience all the benefits of his salvation and then turn away from him and reject him completely. Crucifying Jesus again and holding him up to contempt is saying that his death is worthless, that it didn't accomplish salvation, and that you don't need it. Holding him up to contempt is is to say that Jesus deserved to die like a criminal, that he deserved to be shamed and humiliated and mocked. You're crucifying him again if you do that because you're acting like the people who crucified him the first time. And if you do that, you're not going to want to come back to Jesus. If you experience all the goodness and benefits of the gospel and then reject Jesus completely and turn away from him, what else is going to convince you to come back? If you really experience the truth that God took on our flesh and lived in your place, died in your place to forgive your sins and rose from the dead to give you life with him forever, and then after experiencing all of that, you turn and you say, yeah, whatever, I'm good don't need that, don't need Jesus, what's going to win you back? There's not a better message than the gospel. And so he gives an illustration about what happens if you go that route with these two types of land uh, that he gives here. He says the first land, if it, the, the field, if, if it bears fruit from the rain that's constantly falling on it, and God's word Rain is a symbol for God's word here. So if it bears fruit from the word of God that's constantly falling on it, then it's going to receive a blessing from God. But if the word of God is constantly raining on it, if the gospel is constantly being heard, and yet it doesn't bear fruit, it just bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless, and its end is to be cursed and judged and burned up. And so Hebrews is saying, this is what will happen to you. If you fall away from Jesus, your end is to be like this field, to be cursed, to be judged, to be burned up. If you turn away from Jesus, you will perish eternally. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, I thought it was once saved, always saved. I thought Christians can't lose their salvation. Look, that's true, but what's also true is that the faith that saves perseveres. Real faith endures to the end, or it wasn't real faith to begin with. On top of that, what Hebrews is saying here is true. This will happen to you. If you turn away from Jesus, you will perish. You will experience his judgment. And so what Hebrews is doing here is giving us this strong warning so that we would listen to it, so that we would wake up. A warning like this is one of the means and one of the things that God uses to keep us enduring in faith to the end. You know, think about it like this. We've, we've got an electric stovetop at our house, and even if the burners aren't on but the stovetop is still hot, uh, there's a little red light that will turn on to tell you that the stovetop is still hot. But it's pretty small, so you won't see it if you're not looking for it. And so if you're over at my house and I tell you, hey, the stovetop is still hot, don't put your hand on the stove, and you listen to me, and you don't put your hand on the stove, then my warning served its purpose. It did what I wanted it to do. I didn't want you to put your hand on the stove and get burned. That's what God is doing with these warnings here in the book of Hebrews. God keeps Christians to the end, and one of the ways he keeps Christians to the end is through these warnings. Because the stove 
is actually hot. If you put your hand on it, you will get burned. If you turn away from Jesus and apostatize, reject him completely, you will perish. True Christians do not fall away. But one of the reasons they don't fall away is because they hear a warning like this and they listen to it and they don't put their hand on the stove. This is why God is warning you. God would not be warning us if this had already happened to us, if we had already apostatized and rejected Jesus completely. He's trying to show us this is where spiritual laziness and immaturity leads. This is what will happen if you don't fight it. It eventually leads to rejecting Jesus completely. So listen to God's warning. If you're spiritually lazy, if you've got no real desire to hear God's word, no real desire to study it and know him through it, no real desire to pray, no real desire to have a growing relationship with Jesus, no real desire to obey and submit your life to him, if Jesus and his people is just one more thing in your week that you feel like you've got to check the box off of, but you would still claim to be a Christian, you are giving yourself assurance where you should not have any, and you are walking the path to eventually rejecting Jesus completely. This is the trajectory. This is where it leads. This is how it starts. It starts with just being lazy and apathetic and indifferent towards Jesus. Again, there's not a category for forever immature Christians. You do not stay the same. You're either moving towards Jesus in deeper faith and trust in Him, or you're moving away from Him and towards hardening your heart and eventually rejecting Him completely. And if you do that, you're not just putting yourself in jeopardy of losing some rewards, you're putting yourself in jeopardy of spending an eternity in hell. So if these verses describe you, you need to wake up and start growing up. You need to renew your commitment to following Jesus and not be a spiritual baby forever. And so what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, the end of the passage, he tells us, uh, he shows us what this looks like by giving us an assurance. Because in verse 9, he says, though we've been talking this way, Though we've been given this harsh warning and warning you of judgment, when we think about you guys, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Again, he's saying, hey, you're not here yet. You haven't crucified Jesus again. You haven't rejected Jesus completely. So I just want you to wake up and go back to the faith that you once had before your heart grew cold. I mean, look again at what he says in verse 10. He says, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. This is why he feels sure of better things for them because God's word is bearing fruit in their lives. Their love for God and their faith in God is playing itself out in loving and serving his people. And God's not going to overlook that. That's evidence that their faith is real and genuine. He wants them to get back to more of that. Because in verses 11 and 12, he gets to his main point, what everything in this passage has been driving towards. He has challenged us and warned us and assured us so that we would show the same earnestness. That means intensity or zeal. So that we would show the same intensity to have the full assurance of our hope to the end. He wrote this passage so that we would stop being lazy and would instead 
follow the example of God's people throughout history who through faith and patience have inherited God's promises. He wants us to have the full assurance of our hope to the end. There are two main places the Bible tells us to look for assurance of salvation, and Hebrews highlights both of them. The two are the gospel and the fruit that our lives bear. And so the first place we look for assurance of salvation is the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come and lived for us a perfect life. He died in our place for our sins, to forgive us of them and pay the price for them. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and he lives forevermore to give us life and relationship with him. And so when we look for assurance, we look first to, do we trust that message? Are we believing in Jesus? Are we submitting our lives to him? The second place we look for assurance of salvation is our spiritual fruit. I mean, think about it with just physical life. You know, if I were to ask you, how do you know you're alive right now? Are you alive right now? And how do you know? Would you run back home to go find your birth certificate? Would you go dig it and pull it out and say, here, right here, this is the proof that I'm alive? Probably not, unless you're really weird, right? Instead, you would think like, well, I'm thinking, I'm breathing, I'm moving, I'm feeling, I'm alive. The, the same thing is true spiritually. When we look at ourselves for assurance of salvation, the place we should look is not what date did I pray a prayer, when did I get baptized, but instead, am I breathing? Are there signs of life? Am I trusting Jesus right now? Am I trying to submit to him and obey him right now? Is there fruit in my life? Am I spiritually alive? And, and so Paul tells us that faith works itself out in love, that faith plays itself out, that our love for God shows itself in deeds of love and works of love towards God and towards his people. James says faith without works is dead, that without works, it's not really faith at all. And so when we're looking for assurance of salvation, just ask yourself, does verse 10 describe you? Yeah, there are times for all of us when our faith lags and our hearts grow cold and this doesn't so much describe us. But, but does verse 10 describe you in even a small way? Has it ever? Look, if it does, if it has, the encouragement of Hebrews is to wake up and get going again, to get back in the game and show the same intensity and zeal to follow Jesus that you once have to follow the example of those who day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, patiently followed God, trusted in him, and after their time on earth was done, inherited his promises. He wants us to keep growing in spiritual maturity so that we keep growing in assurance of our salvation. And what I don't want you to miss here is that spiritual maturity takes a specific shape. It looks a certain way here that he describes it. He shows us what it looks like. Spiritual maturity is a deepening love for and trust in God, a deepening confidence in his word, and that plays itself out in a growing love for and service of God's people. Did you see that in verse 10? He says, the love you've shown for his name, God's name, how? in serving the saints. That's the display of spiritual maturity. And so, if this is the call on your life to grow into spiritual maturity, and if this is what it looks like, sacrificially serving God's people, let me just ask you a few questions. 
how can you encourage here others here with the good news of the gospel and with the truths of the Bible if you don't know them yourself? How can you serve the saints if your calendar is full of a million activities? If life in church community and relationship with Jesus is just a side hobby that you engage in from time to time, where are you going to find the time to pray for other members, to encourage them, to practically serve them with meals and a helping hand and whatever else they might need if you've so structured your life and so structured your weeks that Jesus and his people are constantly scraping the bottom of the barrel of your priority list? So if you want assurance that you're persevering in Jesus, that you really do belong to him, then recommitting to knowing his word, trusting and obeying him, and serving his people is what this passage calls us to do. But here's what I want to leave you with. We need a challenge and a warning like this to help us wake up, but we need more than this challenge and this warning if we're going to have that zeal and intensity we're called to have in following Jesus passage is telling us what to do, but on its own it is not giving us the power to do it. Your motivation will fade. I mean, you could be committing right now to, you know, he's right. I've got to start reading the Bible more. I've got to stop letting other things crowd out a life with Jesus and his people. And if that's all the motivation you have, that commitment is going to fade way before we're back here together next week. Uh, It is not enough on its own. Even the author of Hebrews knows this because right after he gives this warning and challenge, he launches back into the promise of the gospel to encourage our hope because he knows this isn't enough by itself. And so here's the good news of the gospel, the reason that you and I can ultimately have this assurance. We deserve to be the burned up field that Hebrews is talking about here because we weren't just spiritually lazy. We were spiritually dead, and all we had ever earned for ourselves was the curse. God offered us life and joy and relationship with Him, and we rejected that and rebelled against Him to go our own way. We had given God no reason to love us, but because He's so good, He does. And out of His love for us, Jesus came and He took on our flesh And he lived the perfect human life that you and I have not lived. And then he went to the cross. And on the cross, he bore the judgment of God for our sins. On the cross, he bore the curse so that we could be free from it. He became the burned up field. He took the judgment. He died. But he did not, he was not defeated by death. He overcame death. He rose from the dead, and because he did that, you and I, who only deserve to know death and curse, instead get to know blessing and life and joy forever. You and I, who had cut ourselves off from God in our sin, instead of being cut off, get to instead know deep life and fellowship and relationship with God because of the work of Jesus. And the whole Bible is about that story, the story of God reversing the curse and freeing us from our sins and freeing us for a relationship with Him in Jesus. When you see Jesus doing that for you out of love and you know that you can see that pictured and displayed on every page of your Bible, 
You'll start to crave reading your Bible. You'll just want to see more of Him. You'll just want to know more of Him. The, the medicine for our spiritual laziness is a fresh grasp of the gospel. Do you want to have the zeal and intensity that you're called to have following Jesus? And look at the zeal that He had to save you. Let me pray that we would. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for a challenge and a warning like this that wakes us up to just how dangerous our laziness and our apathy can be. So God, would your word have its effect in our lives? Would you wake us up? Would you help us to grow up? Would you help us to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ behind and move on to maturity? Would you help us to have earnestness and zeal and intensity to have the full assurance of our hope to the end. Would you help us to know that what you say just a few verses later in Hebrews, that in Jesus we have an anchor for our soul, a hope that goes into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. God, thank you that though we deserve what Hebrews is describing here and and even more. You did not give us what we deserve, but you saved us out of your grace and your love and your kindness for us. Thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. Help us to believe it and know it and trust in it and live from it. I pray that you would in your name. Amen.